Hey everyone, and welcome to this special soapbox edition of the Risky Business Podcast. My name's Patrick Gray, and uh, this isn't a regular weekly edition of Risky Business. These soapbox podcasts we do here at Risky Biz HQ are wholly sponsored episodes where vendors get to come on and talk about really whatever they like. Uh, so that means everyone you hear in a soapbox podcast paid to be here. Now, the disclaimers are out of the way. Uh, today, we are chatting with a regular guest, actually, Ryan Calibre, who is the Executive Vice President of Cybersecurity Strategy at Proofpoint. And the topic is Proofpoint's acquisition of Elusive, which was formerly known as Elusive Networks. Proofpoint just announced that it signed a deal to acquire Elusive, which is an Israeli-based company uh, that started out as a deception vendor before kind of moving in the direction of doing things with Active Directory and uh, account and identity security. It's what the cool kids call ITDR, which is Identity Threat Detection and Response. And look, you know, there's some worthwhile companies in this space uh, that are making tools designed to analyze Active Directory deployments, do attack path analysis, things like that. They can seed them with honey credentials and whatnot. And the reason is simple. Uh, you know, ransomware actors uh, in particular are getting access to enterprise networks, then moving laterally uh, and then up into privileged positions. And then, you know, from there, they just rinse the entire networks. Moving through AD is, you know, Hacker and Pen Tester 101. So it's about time that we had some tools that are actually designed to make that harder and uh, maybe detect that, you know, crazy idea. Uh, but yeah, this is a big move, obviously, from Proofpoint, which is a company that is mostly associated with email security. But uh, here is Ryan Calumba talking about why Proofpoint bought a company that does this sort of thing. And here he is uh, to start things off explaining what Elusive actually does. I hope you enjoy this conversation. So what Elusive does is what we would call identity threat detection and response, which doesn't actually really tell you what they do, because that's simply the Gartner category name. What Elusive does is it finds all of the identities that are the exact same things that an attacker would look to access after they get that first point of presence, whether it's a credential compromise or malware on an endpoint. So it's a problem that's been around forever. The kill chain, again, since it was the kill chain before it was the attack chain, before it was just MITRE attack, <laughs> really does look the same as it did a decade ago because attackers do the same things. They get their initial foothold, they look to escalate privilege through roughly the same techniques. They move laterally, mostly through things like Active Directory, because that gets you anywhere you want to go. And ultimately, that's what Elusive was built to solve. How do I figure out what an attacker would do in this scenario, in this scenario be able to remediate the configuration insofar as that's possible? And if I can't do that, help me find what the attacker would do so I can snap them before they end up causing a huge amount of damage. I mean, you know, you, what you're describing sounds an awful lot like Bloodhound. Yes. I mean, very much of a piece with those sorts of solutions, which are open source and very, very powerful solutions that sort of had the same path, right? They're originally developed by red teamers, developed as offensive tools. But as time has gone on, everyone's realized, wow, this is actually much more valuable for a defender because I can look at what that attacker would do, regardless of whether they're using Bloodhound, Mimikatz, Responder, all of the same sorts of tools that we see used over and over and over again. How do I figure out what they would do and either take that path away from them or build a detection so that if they do hit that, I have an incredibly high fidelity alert that I know to go to respond to. 
I'm really glad that we're having this conversation, actually, because directory complexity is something that I guess I slept on a little bit as an issue. And just over the last few years, I think it's really dawned on me that this isn't a problem that's going away with some move to the cloud, right? So we've we've long talked about Active Directory as being a you know giant trash fire that allows attackers to sort of move through it laterally, uh, you know, <laughs> until they eventually hit the right accounts, and then you know it's party time. But the thinking that oh, well, you know, we're all moving to Azure AD now, so that's not going to be as much of a problem. Well, no, it is because the the issue is kind of fundamental, right? Which is directories um, and provisioning privilege and all of that stuff. I mean, that's that's present in every directory. It doesn't matter where that directory sits or how modern the technology is. It's one of those fundamental issues with establishing a user directory with different amounts of privilege and all of these complex relationships, right? Exactly. If you're running a Windows domain, you have this problem, regardless of exactly how you're running it. And to your point, when we were all uh, sort of enamored of the BeyondCorp idea, maybe we were thinking that it was possible to see a truly least privileged future. Yeah, but even even in that, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is even in that paradigm, it's still directory complexity is still an issue. Oh, it is for sure, for sure. But in the world of attacker behavior, really, they have the script down. And if you look in a typical environment, you know, Windows just will not tell you what identities are there and which ones are exploitable. Like Elusive actually did all of this work across millions and millions of endpoints. The rate at which you run into something that an attacker can take advantage of in a typical enterprise endpoint is one in six. And a lot of those are really shadow admin accounts. And most of them are just one easy step to exploitation through all these techniques that, you know, a YouTube tutorial will teach you how to do in five minutes. And they're yeah. built into all the post-exploitation frameworks, uh, you know, Cobalt Strike. Yeah, so what, Retail, so what you land on, pick, land on a right? box and dump the, you know, dump whatever uh, creds happen to be or whatever hashes or whatever happen to be present on that box and then... Yeah, it, well, it, exactly. And sometimes it's not even that, right? Privileged account passwords just sitting there exposed. Uh, Elusive's data is that that's true on 13% of endpoints. So the attacker doesn't even have to get that lucky. You know, it's a, that's a dice roll. And yeah. if you think about local admins, right, there are solutions for local admins, but how many local admin uh, accounts are actually in a PAM solution? Uh, I should say privileged account management solution or even the, the LAPS solution that Microsoft offers. The vast majority of them aren't. Uh, elusive data actually has it at almost 90%. So it's not like the attacker even has to get lucky. They can find this stuff because you know you shake a typical enterprise environment and all this stuff just falls out. Elusive actually started off as like a deception company, right? Before moving yeah. much more towards this sort of directory enumeration and uh, you know attack path scoping stuff. I, fi- I find that interesting, right? Because it is... I can kind of see maybe some of the other players in this space moving more towards the deception side. It seems like it seems like these two things are meeting, right? Directory enumeration and attack path enumeration and deception are kind of meeting. And it makes sense when you consider that if you're in a position to sort of understand the likely attack paths or the likely paths that an attacker will take through a directory, you're kind of in a pretty good position to dangle some honey token creds in front of them, in front of them and actually get some detection signals. Is that kind of Elusive's approach here? Yeah, that, that's precisely it. And I, and I think most of the organizations that tried to solve this problem started from one perspective or another. And it was usually, honestly, the red team perspective. And I actually talked to quite a few CISOs who are running the solution. You know, you do your diligence on these things. 
And uh, one of the most common things I got was, well, the reason we even started these projects in the first place is I was completely sick of losing to the red team. And that was that's true, I think, in the vast majority of organizations who have the resources to even employ a red team. But ultimately, to your point, this is not a, a problem that is simple enough to say, all right, well, the red team got through in this way. I'm going to fix this thing. And now I'm going to move on until next yeah, year. Because then the red team just uses the same techniques, but in a different part of the network. And it, exactly. It and, yeah. and, and the attack paths are not quite infinite, but there's probably billions of them. Well, and, and it's and it's a directory is a living thing too. Like yeah. I think that's that's something where you look at some of these offerings that do sort of continuous, you know, active directory audits and and enumerations. Yeah. Like that's that's a um, they need to be continuous, right? Because right. it's it's a, it's a constantly changing thing. Exactly, and that drift happens in unpredictable ways. Yep. It happens because admins are just doing their jobs and they're not thinking about the security consequences of that. And and to your point. When you think about building a solution for it, you want to make sure that you optimize for all of the things that you can actually fix proactively, but also what is the attacker most likely to do and can I actually build a detection based on that? Uh, Because again, to your point earlier, attackers have almost gotten lazy in just how often they move down these paths and run the same tools and effectively operate in the same paradigm because we haven't taken that away. We haven't made that harder. We've just kind of replicated it in our own red teams and shown one particular permutation of it rather than trying to build something systematic and dynamic that is able to refresh itself as everything about a directory changes. So I got to ask, Proofpoint is a company that, you know, typically is, yeah, well, it's best known for uh, email security. And, you know, it's all cloud, 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 and very, very modern. Why are you buying, uh, you know, an active directory security tool? <laughs> right? What gives? No, that's a great question. Uh, so I think there's there's two big pieces to that. One is if you look at what our uh, primary value to our enterprises is, is we're stopping that initial compromise insofar as we possibly can. And particularly in the cloud, you know, some of that looks like account takeover activity, but it's only the first step. And we can do a reasonably good job of doing that at pretty much any organization, but we've never been able to connect up the Okay, then, so what? If this account is compromised, what's the blast radius? How big is that boom? And we've had all these fantastic notions that we've used for visibility purposes, like I can tell you in a 10,000-person organization who are the 50 people that get the most interesting attacks. What I can now tell you if I combine these things is not just which one of those 50 are maybe even most likely to get compromised or are most interesting to attackers, but how bad of a problem is it if that person gets compromised so that you can go and fix that ultimately? Or if you even can't fix it from a configuration perspective, use something like a deception honey token or something along those lines. I mean, so I mean I'm guessing from, from, a, from a proof point perspective, it's when people are using like M365 and Azure AD is when this starts getting kind of easy, right? True, but everybody, well, not everybody, but most organizations are in a hybrid configuration and are probably going to be there, maybe not forever, but for a very, very, very long time. So this, to me, you know, we've, we've been thinking about people-centric security for a long time. This is, I suppose, identity-centric security because some of these admin accounts are not necessarily associated with a person, but yeah. that's the pivot point. Ultimately, identity is the attacker's path through an organization. And we can do a phenomenal job of protecting identities. We'll never do that to 100%. And there are always going to be other ways to 
get that initial compromise. The other piece that becomes really interesting, and this I think ties to a lot of what's happening in the threat landscape, the data extortion actors are a huge problem right now. Uh, certainly don't need to cherry pick I'm any examples. I'm really glad you brought this up because I have thoughts on this that I haven't really had room. I haven't really had room in the in the weekly show to, to talk about that. But just quickly, before we move on, it's interesting what yeah. you're saying about like, uh, you know, taking some of that telemetry you're getting on the email side and then marrying it up to, to identity stuff like that. That makes a lot of sense. I actually just published a YouTube demo with um, Brett Winifred and one of his colleagues over at Okta. And... What they've done, this is this is interesting and you'll like this actually. Uh, what they've actually done is like, so so it was a demo on how to roll out passwordless auth, right? Either using like a YubiKey or their endpoint client, their Okta Authenticator or Verify, whatever they call it. Um, but, but the really interesting thing was that if you get a, you get really reliable signals, even if it's, on, even if you've only enabled it for part of your user base, mm -hmm. right? you get really reliable signals that phishing attempts have been made against the users who are enrolled in that. And then you can grab the domains, the phishing domains there and actually spit them out into your seam or whatever. And then, you know, either block that domain or whatever, right? The, the point is using passwordless for a subset of your user base can actually protect the rest of the user base because all of a sudden you're getting all of these high quality signals. And I guess, yeah. you know, I guess it's similar thinking here, right? Which is you've got all of this telemetry and all of this information about what attackers are doing to which identities. And then if you combine that with a tool that analyzes identities and their relationship to other identities, you know, you, you can start doing some some funky stuff there. Exactly, exactly. And there are so many threat actors that we track now that are really opportunistic. You know, there was certainly a period of time where we spent a huge amount of time worrying about what was targeted and what was not targeted. If you're talking about an initial access broker, if you're talking about one of the many Conti or Revil offshoots that are still cranking away every day, they're much more opportunistic, but they tend to target the same accounts over and over and over again. And so if I can identify which one of those accounts is on a box where they have local admin or a help desk administrator logged in yesterday and hasn't actually logged out or cleaned up those creds, I can make sure that I'm solving the most urgent problem first. And to your point, you know, the just like the Fantastic Okta example, protecting a small set of the population has a disproportionate effect in protecting the entire environment if you go at it with the right signals. Yeah, I mean, I think Brett's point in bringing that up was that, you know, they never just hit one account. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. so when, you, when you're being fished, there's going to be a whole bunch of them. And you've just got, when someone tries to, uh, you know, fish a user who's protected by passwordless, where there's like a U2F-like mechanism for auth, like it's so obvious that mm -hmm. that it's an it's an attempted phishing attack, and then you can just you know spit out that domain and um, and away you go. But let's talk about data extortion now, because you know obviously here in Australia we just had a you know an absolutely awful situation where Medibank private uh, Medi what used to be called Medibank private, which is a private health insurer uh, here in Australia now now just known as Medibank, uh, you know had all of its data stolen and. You know, one of the really interesting aspects to all of this that I don't think has been talked about that much is more and more we're seeing instances like this where the company has been able to repel the ransomware component of an attack. So we just right. saw this with Maple Foods in Canada recently as well. You know, some crew comes in, they try to deploy ransomware, but 
the companies either are restoring quickly because they have a business continuity plan or they are responding uh, quickly enough to prevent the ransomware uh, from being able to take hold in the organization in the first place. But they're not stopping the exfil, which I find interesting. So they can stop the ransomware, but they can't stop the exfil. And then these these crime groups are saying, well, pay us. Uh, and companies, by and large, and of course, we're not going to hear about the ones who do pay, but a yeah. lot of them aren't paying. So I actually wonder whether this is a crime type that's got legs. You know, I just don't know how profitable it's going to be for criminals, but they're trying it anyway. I mean, what, what's your thought on that? And I know this isn't really what you wanted to bring into the into the discussion, but I am curious to know what you think there. No, I actually did want to bring this into the discussion in a bit <laughs> okay, of an upset. Uh, so interestingly, if you think about how you would stop a data extortion actor, right, they're also going to have to compromise an identity that has the sort of access that they want in order to get the volumes of data that they're interested in. So being able to understand which identities have access to the crown jewels, and it's not just domain admin, it can be ordinary users that just happen to have that sort of access as part of how they do their jobs. But being able to actually map that to attack paths is incredibly powerful. Uh, Elusive calls this crown jewels analysis. And when we can connect that up to the other parts of the telemetry, well, this is an account that looks like it's compromised. It does have crown jewels access. That's the sort of thing that needs to go to the top of the queue as fast as possible. And as I mentioned uh, in the the last time we spoke, uh, we've actually built some interesting detection techniques for data extortion actors. And, uh, you know, the Chinese ones love WinRAR. They will love WinRAR, yeah. to your point, until the end of time. <laughs> uh, others love 7-Zip. And, and ultimately, you can actually look for things that happen really, really late, you know, the impact part of, of the, uh, the attack chain. Uh, but being able to have that mapping of these are identities that have a huge amount of access to data, not just domain admins. That is a hugely useful tool for a defender in figuring out which attack paths are likeliest to be used by the sort of opportunistic actors that are trying data extortion. Because the data extortion actors, yeah. I mean, that's these are mostly Conti offshoots, and they, they have playbooks that they develop. And they're all doing relatively similar things with relatively similar tooling. And the lateral movement is, again, through AD in pretty consistent post-exploitation tools. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because it does feel like enterprises, at least ones with decent budgets, you know, fun- good functioning businesses, are able to get their endpoints locked down yeah. to the degree that deploying ransomware just isn't always going to be successful. Or, or they know? have, or they have sufficiently good backups and have tested their backups, yeah. and so that yeah. even if the ransomware is successfully deployed, the crypto locking piece, they can recover and they don't need to pay. It was, a, it was a funny moment, wasn't it, for the industry when ransomware started uh, doing all of this awful stuff to enterprise. And that, it was at that moment that we realized that existing backup technology wasn't very good. It was good <laughs> at backing up. It just wasn't very good at restoring, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, but I guess, I, I guess the point that you're getting at here is that, okay, say we've got that part of the equation mostly solved, right, for the organizations that are actually putting the effort into solving it. But we haven't really solved the other problem, which is the which is the yeah getting to the crown jewels, doing the exfil, and of course, there's always going to be stuff like what happened to the telco here in Australia, Optus, where by right. the looks of things, they accidentally exposed an API endpoint that was unauthed and just gave direct access to everything. Whoops! So you know your 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 uh, attack path analysis isn't going to do much in that situation. Correct. 
But, you know, I hear what you're saying, which is this is about disrupting the most common, you know, let's call them attacker workflows, right? I think you did call them attacker workflows earlier. Yeah, th that's exactly it. And those attacker workflows, even though the last step might be a little different and they'll figure out different things to use for extortion. I mean, there was a brief period where executive email was a big target uh, and used in extortion scenarios. But data extortion, to your point, I think is going to be tested out for a long period of time because it is viable in a huge range of organizations. And if the attacker is willing to do a little bit of work in order to poke around with the access that they get, in most organizations, they're going to find something that is really, really painful to have out there. And these are not maybe always going to look exactly like the Medibank example, but those paths to huge amounts of data access, they just haven't even been looked at in most organizations. You know, the same way that if you run, run zero on a, on, a, on a company you acquire in an M&A scenario, you're going to find some insane stuff that probably hasn't been looked at. If you look across all of the identities in a typical organization that has maybe had AD for a while, they've got some stuff in AD Azure, there's some federation in between the two, and they have completely normal sysadmins doing normal sysadmin things, there's going to be so, so, so many ways for an attacker to get from point A, regardless of what point A is, unless it's an API endpoint, to where they need to go in order to cause a huge amount of pain. And being able to look at that and solve for the most obvious ones that an attacker is going to do first because they have their workflows, to your point, mitigates a huge amount of the risk. I mean, I'm curious, though, about this attack path management. It is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I, I guess I wonder, it does require a willingness on the customer side to take action based on what the tools are telling them, right? And that action's not always going to be straightforward. So I've always wondered as a mass, you know, as a, as a tool for the enterprise masses, how successful it can be, right? When you're really, you know, it's a tool that tells people you need to do some hard work over here and that's going to be beneficial work. But quite a lot of people might just say, I don't have time for that. Like, you know, what, what's Elusive's approach what has been its approach to making that the changes that it recommends are uh, making them appealing, I guess, to, to yeah. their customers. Yeah. Making it something you can operationalize. Yeah. yeah I, to your point, I think that's what's happened with uh, some of the open source projects, which are great tools, but give you output that would be a huge amount of work to actually do anything with. That's certainly the case for Bloodhound. Uh, and you, Windows uh, Red Forest is a good example of something that was a great idea, but it was going to break all kinds of things and require a lot of work, uh, even though it was the Microsoft-endorsed approach to solving a big part of this problem. So what Elusive has done is basically try and, again, make it as easy as possible to clean up the obvious configurations. So the help desk creds that have just been left there you can, you can nuke those, right? <laughs> and if you're making the help desk log in to that person's machine that they're helping out the next time, that's exactly as it should be. They shouldn't actually have that cached there for, for any reason because an attacker is going to snap that every single time. Uh, sysadmins, unfortunately, you might torture them a little bit by cleaning up a lot of these configurations because they will be doing things in many cases that frankly, introduce far more security risk into the environment than maybe they are even aware of. So you probably do have to explain that to so, them. So, I mean, what you're describing really is just tidying up, right? 
um, that's it, it. The tool can do that. What? How does it do that? Do you give it sort of privilege and it goes out and just like logs into workstations and nuke stuff, or do you need an yeah. agent? Yeah, you give you you give it privilege. Uh, basically, the the way it works is you know I guess the term is dissolvable agent. It's an executable that deletes itself immediately after running. Uh, but yes, it it operates with that level of privilege. And the other thing to your earlier point around kind of the deception side, even if you can't fix it, you can look for an attacker doing that exact same thing. And being able to do that is useful from an operational perspective because those are almost never false positives. Uh, I don't mm. believe Elusive has ever had something that looks like a false positive. Sometimes they have, you know, developers poking around and doing things that, you know, curious humans do where they're going to run into, you know, a honeypot or a honey token or something along those lines. But that's comparatively rare and also probably still worth following up on. You're just not going to have that many of those unless you have a completely chaotic environment <laughs> yeah i'm sure there's there's a few out there so what does y using this thing to do detection look like i mean does it you know forgive my language but does it just shit out these signals into a seam or is this like you have to be on the console for this thing like what, what what's been their approach there and how much customization do you have to do before you can start getting good signals out of it yeah the, the nice thing is you don't really have to do much customization because if you're running a normal windows domain what the attackers do and what the defenders do is all going to be extremely consistent. It's all lull bins all the way down, right? And that means that you rarely have to do something that's super custom to your own environment. The one thing that is a bit of an exception to that is the crown jewels, right? If you don't know where your crown jewels are, obviously it's much harder to actually add that layer of uh, enrichment to, to the data sets. But the basic detection functions exactly like you'd expect pretty much any modern security tool to do. I, if you I need just to thought hook of this it as, into ServiceNow, I, that's fine, or your SIM or whatever else. I, I just sort of a way to describe this, right? Which is, you know, we've had UEBA for a long time and some of the <laughs> yeah. principles are similar, right? But this is like looking at the accounts before they're used. So it's like UEBA pre-crime. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there, there is a little Because really, the, like what but... you're describing, the operationalized bit of this, does sound an awful like UEBA from, you know, 10 years ago. It's solving the same problem for sure. Yeah. Because again, I think we've all... I, I think the difference is like what you're doing to actually establish the detections, which is to look at the accounts ahead of time rather than just looking at, you know, um, user behavior or well, account right. behavior. And, well, and user behavior determined by the logs, which mm. is not always an accurate reflection of user behavior and gives you a huge amount of noise uh, when you're trying to get a small amount of signal but again, this is why everyone loves canary tokens and why, why everybody loves things. You know, you're not generating a ton of false positives with approaches like this. And this is even more specific than that in most environments because you're basically using the same methodology an attacker would use to figure out where to go next. And you're either fixing that configuration or laying a trap. And that becomes yeah. interesting at scale. I mean, it feels like this is a category that's got pretty hot lately. It's kind of crazy that it took till 2022 when you think about it, right? When you think that, this, yeah. that this workflow that you're describing, I mean, you know, if Adam Bialow were here with us uh, on this call, he would be saying, yeah, I mean, that's how I've been doing my job the last 15 years. So why is it that we've just seen tools now? Um, you know, I, I've got a theory there, which is that I think really for a lot of orgs, you know, the issue was malware suppression not so much human targeters who behaved like red teamers. Whereas now, right. thanks to ransomware and data extortion, like the bad guys are rolling like the good guys. And that's why we need this stuff. I think that's a big part of it because you yeah. know, to, to that exact point. I, Adam always refers to, to this as like the, the life imitating art 
problem, which is you yes. know, they were initially trying to emulate the, the bad people, but um, got a lot better than the bad people at it. So the bad people are now emulating them, emulating the bad people. <laughs> right, right. And I think a, a, a huge amount of that, actually, and it goes back to you know the first CISO I ever talked about who was doing this. He did it because he was, again, sick of losing to the red team. And the red team and the adversary are both using Cobalt Strike or Brute Retail or <laughs> maybe Cats or Responder or Bloodhound. Take your pick. It's become extremely consistent and we have ignored the middle bit of the kill chain for a really, really long time. I think you know, my origin story here, why I got really interested in this problem, is like all the way back in my earlier days as an engineer, they, uh, I was sort of forced into taking uh, an active directory certification and learning how that worked. And I, I've Oh my never... God, do you have, do you still have the tie pin? <laughs> I still have the 700 page book that came with it. Oh, uh, but I don't think I've ever been as terrified <laughs> at any horror movie as sitting through that and just understanding mm. what Active Directory was and how the thing actually worked and how you would admit, administer it. Uh, and it was, it was sort of a dark night of this whole thing. Like we are never solving security if this is in the middle of everything. Uh, and that was a very, very long time ago. Man, was- I, I had a similar, I had a similar reaction. You just actually, I just remembered it like spontaneously as you were, as you were describing that. I, I had a similar reaction now. to a, <laughs> to a talk I saw at a security conference in Brisbane about PowerShell before Microsoft kind of fixed it. Um, so it was about early PowerShell and like what you could do with it and how you could just completely bypass things like, you know, oh, authentication. Yeah. Yeah. And and I was just sitting there watching this, just thinking, my God. I mean, obviously those issues had been around for a little while, even by the time I sat down and saw that um, uh, that presentation, but I just had no idea it was that bad. And it's, it's I just, I guess I'd just say, I, I, I know those moments. I've had those moments myself when you just think, oh my God, this is not fixable. Well, right. And the reason that it's it's extra terrifying is what you get with Active Directory. You get God mode, right? You get to do anything you want. And there's simply no way on basically by default for Windows to simply tell you what identities are where, what privileges are where, and can they be abused? It does not exist. And so the keys to the kingdom are connected to every single machine in unpredictable ways that are easily abusable and you can't figure out what they are. <laughs> That's, yeah. It's an absolute nightmare. And I mean, so- you know, there's, there's, there's some companies who've done some very clever stuff around this from a completely different perspective. And I'm thinking in this case of like Remediant, right? Mm-hmm. Whose entire thing is to just go around and nuke privilege, right? Yeah. So instead of, uh, which as I say, it's like a different way to kind of, um, uh, pair back some of those, trim back that those issues a little. But, um, you know, the the directory and analysis and attack path graph stuff is is the new hotness for sure. Exactly. I mean, and you can go back to Pyramid of Pain or lots of different things about making the attacker's life easier. I think we, we've tried to do that pretty substantially all the way on the left side of the attack chain. We've kind of ignored the middle bit. Uh, just because, again, so many legitimate uh, admin actions can look exactly like what an attacker would do, but in this case, you know, I think we've gotten once you to the start point chaining where, it together, once you start chaining it together, exactly, uh, yeah. and and once you throw in things like deceptions as a, as a way to compensate for the configurations you know you'll never be able to fix in your environment, or at least not anytime soon, things start to actually you know work out pretty well, and you know, elusive has been deployed at organizations with over a million people. So it's one of those rare security controls that also ends up scaling pretty well. 
because these things are all consistent. It's all Active Directory at the end of the day, plus you know Azure AD and the other pieces. Well, and that's the thing. Like, it. It, it doesn't matter how varied these deployments are, because Active Directory deployments can look pretty different. Sure. But the attack path's always going to look the same. Right. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah. And, no, and again, interesting. And the alerts. There shouldn't be a lot of alerts, and and if yeah. there are, uh, well, you found a good reason to switch jobs. All right. Well, Ryan Caliber, congratulations on assimilating Elusive into your Proofpoint Borg Toma Bravo cube. Uh, it's wonderful news. Congratulations. And uh, we'll <laughs> chat to you again soon. Happily floating through space. Always a pleasure, Pat. That was Ryan Caliber there with a chat about Proofpoint's decision to acquire Elusive. Big thanks to him for that. And big thanks to Proofpoint for being a major risky business sponsor. I'll be back tomorrow with the regular weekly show and a news bulletin in Risky Business News. But until then, I've been Patrick Gray. Thanks for listening. Listening.